This podcast is made possible by the generosity of supporting members. Please visit dharmaocean.org to learn more about becoming a supporting member. You are listening to the Dharma Ocean Podcast. In the first part of this talk on the container principle, Reggie says that mindfulness meditation is often used as a technique to try to stabilize the ego by creating a sense of control, perfectionism, and safety. True meditation holds and protects the raw, rugged, messy unfolding of the totality within us. This talk was given in 2016 at the November Meditating with the Body Retreat held at Buckfast Abbey in Devon, England. Normally, people try to use meditation to stabilize their ego, unfortunately. That's the kind of sad truth. People try to use mindfulness as a way to sort of stabilize their ego and stabilize their experience and you know, frankly, keep their experience under control. That's actually not true meditation, but that's, at least in the United States, that's pretty much what is the order of the day. Trung Rinpoche, who was the Tibetan teacher that I studied with the most, he was my, you say, root teacher over this long 17-year period when I was really kind of in his world before he died. He said that that kind of practice, that kind of mindfulness, where you're basically just trying to stabilize, is is mental gymnastics. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the Dharma, the true Dharma. The way the somatic protocols work is they provide a container for us, they hold us. And one of the things that, what they're holding is the journey. They're not holding the ego exactly. The ego is being held within the practice in a certain kind of way. But the purpose of the container is not to protect the ego. It's to protect the journey. There's a huge difference. And what I mean by the journey, you know, again, I'm reviewing things that you have already been working on for quite some time. The journey is the unfolding of you, of your human personality. And the journey is a journey toward wholeness. And wholeness means the totality. We have a deep longing within us to be whole. We have an ego desire for perfection. I want to be perfect, I want to measure up to whatever I think perfection is, and that's the way I'm going to be safe. That's the way I'm going to get through the world, I'm going to be perfect. That is a pre-adolescent version of spirituality. When we're a small child, doing things the way, our, you know, fulfilling the ideals of our parents, whatever they may be, is the way in which we're loved and the way in which we're safe. But that's not the journey of the adult. 
The journey of the outlaw is to begin to shed the perfectionism, to shed the judgmentalism. When we come into the spiritual journey, we are very, very self-judgmental. We're perfectionistic. We're trying to get the practices right. We want to do things perfectly. And that's what we have to let go of. I'm, I'm sure you heard over and over and over from your MIs, don't judge your practice. Because if your practice is going in a direction that seems wrong to you, you're on the right track. It means things are going on in you that are outside the boundary of your personal version of what you're supposed to be doing. Do you see what I'm getting at? We always have a personal version of how we're going to be safe, how we're going to be correct, how we're going to get the approval of mom and dad. And that kind of, that kind of approach leads to judgmentalism of ourselves and others. It leads to self-aggression. In extreme cases, it leads to self-loathing, self-destructive behavior, it leads to all kinds of addictions. It's a great big mess. So when we come into the, this kind of work that we're doing here, you are given these forms, which are very important, that we learn the forms to begin with, and then you know, other things happen. But the forms become a protective container. And they hold us. Meantime, whatever's going on, we feel great, we feel terrible. We're freaking out. We feel like we're totally getting it. That kind of internal conversation, that kind of monologue, that kind of internal narrative goes on, but it's not relevant. The relevant thing is actually stepping into the container, doing the practice, and letting the form hold us. So, for example, if we get up one morning and you know, we're filled with self-hatred and we're, tr we're contemplating jumping out the window, the appropriate thing at that moment is to lie down on our back and do 10 points practice. If we get up in the morning and we feel like during the night we achieved enlightenment and everything's going to be great from now on and we're not going to have any more problems ever, the appropriate behavior is to lie down on our back and do 10 points practice. If we go down to breakfast and our partner announces they're finally admitting they can't stand us and they've never been able to stand us. The appropriate behavior is to lie down on our back and do 10 points practice. Because all of that eventfulness in life, it is the journey. It destabilizes us. Even if you think you just achieved enlightenment, that's very destabilizing. If you, go, if you believe that and you go out, you're, you're going to be locked up. Or you're going to be, your friends are going to think you, it's like, bye-bye. You just went over the edge. And also with, with the negative kinds of experiences, very destabilizing, it really throws us up. We don't know what to do. The appropriate behavior is to lie down on your back and do 10 points practice. Because what we're doing is we're no longer giving supreme authority to the ego. We're not against the ego. We're not trying to destroy the ego, but we're, we are not no longer giving it supreme authority in our life. The supreme authority is the body. And the way into the body 
we lie down on our back, and we do 10 points practice. In the Vajrayana, it's very interesting, when I was studying this tradition in the very beginning, before I met Trung Brimache, I was in my late teens, I read over and over, they said, the philosophy doesn't matter, psychology doesn't matter, the important thing is just do the practice. And I read these accounts of Tibetan teachers they would tell their students, the students would come in and, and you, know, all, you know what students do? I mean, you know what they do sometimes? In the Tibetan thing, students come in and they say, like in Milarepa's day, who was a very great yogi of the 12th century, 11th century, his students would come in and say, you know what? I just saw the birth and death of the universe. And Milarepa would hear the student out and say, yeah, okay, now go back to the cave and meditate. Or somebody would come in and say, I just, you know, I just achieved enlightenment. Mirai would say, just go back and meditate. That's good. That's great. You achieved enlightenment. Go back and meditate. In the beginning, I was very confused by that. It didn't make any sense to me because I was, I mean, I was an academic and approaching things through very much a left brain approach. And, but now I do understand because whatever the discursive mind is doing, it's not a bad thing, but it should not control our life. It should not control our interpretation of our experience. It should not get between us and what we're really looking for. So the thinking mind is all well and good, but in every circumstance, we need to come back and step within the container of whatever form you're working on and do it. It's very simple. And out of that, strangely enough, will come incredibly interesting and creative intellectual discoveries. So far from uh, negating the thinking mind, when the thinking mind is rooted in the somatic experience, in the non-conceptual experience of our body, then the thinking becomes incredibly creative and interesting and transformative, really, in terms of whatever work we're doing. And that goes for any kind of expression, art, visual art, and dance, and business, and medicine, and if we're teachers, if we're caregivers, out of the body comes this unceasing upwelling of creativity that is no longer just us rearranging the chairs on the, the deck of the Titanic. We're not doing that anymore. We're actually living in a way where the intellect becomes the servant of our direct experience. To download more of Reggie's teachings, find out about upcoming retreats, and to explore a variety of audio listening guides to assist you on your spiritual journey, please visit dharmaocean.org.
Our music is by Jeff Beale and Nawang Ketchog from the album Tibet Cry of the Snow Lion. <laughs>